Welcome to House Call with Dr. Mac, where you get a real doc with straight talk for the whole you. Welcome back, community. We've been on a little hiatus. Our last episode of our last season aired the week of Thanksgiving 2014. And we have just been having a ball, meeting new people, hearing new stories, and just out there having conversations, helping people connect their health dots so that they can become an intricate member of their healthcare team with their trusted advisors so that they can have whole person care. You know, as we've been away, I've been able to look and see um, some of the amazing places that the podcast has reached. I really want to say hello and welcome to the House Call community to Ireland. And I also want to say hi and welcome to the House Call community to China, France, the Palestinian Territory, and Canada. Of course, all of our friends and family in the United States, we want to say hello. And in the Bahamas, Jamaica, Mexico, those are just some of the areas that we've been able to go and reach and touch. And we are just humbled that you would give us the opportunity to come into your hearts, into your into your households, and that we can be a part of your growing health conversation. Well, community... We are kicking off this season in the month of February, 2015. And this month is Heart Disease Red Dress Awareness Month. What that means is that we really try to emphasize and bring awareness and education to heart disease in women. We know that heart disease affects men and that it's the number one killer of men. What we want to get out there is that it is also the number one killer of women. One in three women will die from heart disease complications. In seeing this, I was able to sit back and look pretty close to home and see how various heart disease entities have affected women in my immediate circle. I've had the privilege of sitting down with a wonderful, phenomenal woman. She's a retired nurse, an RN, mainly had her first clinical experiences in psychiatry, and then moved into administration. She's going to sit down and tell her story. I call her Aunt Lillian. Mrs. Lillian Lester Blake has so graciously agreed to sit down with the House Call community and tell her journey as she discovered she had atrial fibrillation, or AFib for short. So, let's sit down. Let's continue these conversations. Let's connect these dots. Let's get some straight talk. Welcome to House Call with Dr. Mac, where you get a real doc with straight talk for the whole you. 
Today, the House Call community is super excited to sit down with our guest because she holds a very special place in my heart. We have with us in the House Call community today, Mrs. Lillian Lester Blake. Hi, Aunt Lil. Hi, Keisha. So I, you hold a very special place in my heart because you've known me since I had pigtails, so to speak. That's exactly right. <laughs> and our families have just been so intimately entwined throughout the years. We've shared good times and we've shared sad times together. And yeah. it's because... That's right. That is right. And it's because of the way that our families have been able to interact and and be strengths for one another that we're having this opportunity to sit down. It's the latest journey that you and my mother have been on, and it's a medical journey that I wanted us to discuss today, and I just felt it's so appropriate being February, being Red Dress Month, heart awareness, and especially for women, that we open up the conversation and start connecting the health dots on a condition called atrial fibrillation or AFib. And so I want you to um, start walking us through this journey that you have been on, if you could for us. And in that journey, can you give us a little bit of your professional background? Sure. I am an RN, retired by profession, and uh, so I've, I've had a very, very intimate uh, association with the medical community, and uh, my, my training has exposed me to a lot as it relates to heart disease and heart disorders and that kind of thing. And so uh, my journey began probably when I was about... Um, Oh, probably about 12 years ago. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, I I was at work one day, and I was just feeling so tired and so weak, and was hardly able to put one foot in front of the other. And, you know, for a nurse, that, that's not a good sign. No. You know, we, we, we have to be very active in our in our jobs. And so I was working, and uh, I the doctor where I work, he just kind of pulled me aside, and he says, well, let me do some test on you to see what's going on with you and he did and he found like and he did some laboratory testing and he found that my potassium levels were very very low mm. almost off the charts as far as being low oh wow he, <laughs> he says uh, well i'll give you a choice he says i'll put you in the hospital right now or you can go home and put your feet up and watch oprah and and and, and do whatever you know take some I'll mm-hmm. give you a prescription for potassium just to kind of up your level. Well, of course, I chose to go home. And, of course. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so I was having irregular heartbeats, and I couldn't understand why, mm-hmm. you know. And so uh, I thought, well, maybe it's just because of the low potassium because there is a connection there. Yes, yes. There's a connection between potassium levels in our in our bloodstream, which is an electrolyte, and the actual cardiac muscle and how the heart conducts electricity and beats. Right. And that's why he was putting me to rest, so mm-hmm. to speak, because, you know, there was a very real danger of a heart attack or mm-hmm. whatever going on there. So he said, okay, okay, you know what to do when you get home. Go home and get out from under some of the stress, mm-hmm. take this medication are giving you this potassium supplement and come back in uh, three days and check. let me check you, which I did. 
insulin levels were better, my heart, irregular heartbeat was, was improving and that kind of thing. And so I went for years without really uh, having a problem or what I thought was a problem. Mm. I would have irregular heartbeats, but I would think because, well, I was under a lot of stress with the job because I was in management and that kind of thing. Okay. And I thought, well, maybe the stress was causing the irregular heartbeats. And so about a year and a half or so ago, I was preparing for a surgery. It was a minor surgery, a female problem. I was getting ready to have a DNC, to be specific. And okay. they were doing a workup on me prior to surgery. And when they did the EKG, they said, well, um, do you know that you have AFib? Hmm. I said, no. He said, she said, well, we, uh, we, we are going to have to postpone the surgery because we need to send you to a cardiologist. Whoa. <laughs> and so they made an appointment. They said, well, no, well, uh, what we'll do is we'll, we'll send this information to your doctor and have your doctor refer you to a cardiologist. Well, I've never seen a cardiologist before because I didn't think I had to. You know? Right. <laughs> and so the doctor set me up with an appointment uh, to see a cardiologist, and I went and did the stress test. That's where, I mean, you might want to explain to your audience what the stress test is. Yes. What the purpose of it is. So a stress test can be done two different ways. If a patient has the physical ability, they will more than likely put you on a treadmill and they'll hook you up, they'll put all these electrodes, you are monitored, and they will see how much physical activity you can undergo and how your heart and your blood pressure and your respiratory rate respond. If you are not physically able to do that, some another alternative is called an adenosine test where there is a little... Um, it, adenosine is a chemical and it's placed through your system intravenously through an IV and it stresses the heart just like if you were to exercise so that they can actually see the function of the heart. Okay. And, and the uh, treadmill test is what I did. Okay. You know, and it was, it was grueling, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Yes, they push you because they really want to see how how far you can go. Right. And it was from there that I got an official diagnosis of AFib. You know, mm. he did some other echocardiogram kinds of work and that kind of thing. Okay. And, and those are pictures of the heart. That's where they look in and they actually um, look at the heart and look at pictures. Is that what they did? That's it. Mm -hmm. That's it exactly. Okay. So um, the doctor is one that is not, I, I was not necessarily pleased with because mm -hmm. he didn't seem to want to give me information. He would come in and, he, you know, I, being a health professional, I wanted to know as much as I could about the condition with which I was diagnosed. And he didn't, he wasn't willing to be forthcoming mm. with the information. Oh, okay. And <laughs> he would refer it to my, he would send the information to my primary doctor. And I think, you know, I, 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 I just kind of uh, told them that I was going to, and I think that's an important part. If we could pause there, if you do not feel that you can become a partner with your healthcare provider and that they are not giving you information and you feel a part of this, I mean, it's your body, you can seek other people. 
And I want that to be a poignant point. Yes, yes. And before I I made the switch, what he had decided to do was to put me into the hospital. Hmm. uh, Just kind of almost immediately and uh, do what is known as a cardioversion. Oh, Okay, so a cardioversion is where they would actually shock the heart. Like you, what you see on TV is the drastic end of cardioversion, but you can actually control the electricity that goes through those paddles and under a controlled setting, almost restart the heart electricity. Right. Well, that's what I did. He had put me on a regimen of medication, but I was only on the medication for about two weeks before he decided to put me in as an outpatient. Oh, wow. And it was, it was an outpatient procedure into the cardioversion. Okay. You know, and uh, we did that. I was, oh, I was petrified because I just, you know, I had seen this TV stuff and I, you know, yes. I had the shocks that I had given to patients. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yes, when you're on the other side of the table, and I've been there myself, you it's a whole different world. It is a whole different world. And so uh, they did the cardio version, and the effects lasted maybe about two or three weeks. Now, I have a question for you at this point. Uh, Were you feeling any symptoms while you were going through this particular phase? Were you tired? Were you having any shortness of breath? Were you feeling your heart race at at different times? I was tired. I was tired Mm -hmm. all the time, actually. You know, and I was having periods of shortness of breath. You know, but again, I related it to the potassium levels because my potassium levels seem to dip, probably mainly because my diet does not include a lot of potassium foods. Okay, okay, all right. So you went and got cardioverted. <laughs> got cardioverted. It lasted about two weeks or three weeks. I was feeling pretty good at that time. I did not have the time to feel the full effect mm. of a regular heartbeat before it went back to being oh. irregular. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. So, so I, well, I went through all of that, the anxiety leading up to it and the actual uh, cardio version itself, and it seemed to be all for naught because here I am back in the same place again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I decided, okay, let's go get a second opinion, and uh, I went to another cardiologist and she uh, told me that she, uh, she, she I took my medical records with me and she told me that what she likes to do is just have the patient on a regimen of medication for about six months prior to cardioversion. Okay. And that, that would pretty much uh, help the uh, cardioversion to work, to work better if mm. I were on medication prior to that, you know. Uh-huh. So I was with her about six months when she decided to cardiovert me again. Oh, Okay, this is the second time around. This is the second time around. Okay. <laughs> and she put me in the hospital again, same hospital, and did the cardio version again, and uh, it held for about maybe three months. Okay. Hmm. Are you feeling better? Are you less tired? Less tired, uh, sleeping better, uh, that kind of thing. But before, what, what she told me that I did not know, this was prior to the second cardioversion, was there was 
procedure is a little bit more invasive than the cardio version right gotcha so go ahead tell your story before we get into what an actual ablation is okay the story was that she wanted to uh refer me to get the ablation and she usually referred her patients to university of alabama in birmingham a hospital down there Mm -hmm. and so I said, okay, well, uh, I don't think I can do that because my 90-year-old mother lives here with me, oh. and that would require an overnight stay, and I can't be away from home overnight like that, mm-hmm. you know, out of town and that kind of thing, and thinking about follow-up. And so I found what is known as an electrophysiologist, who is a cardiologist who specializes in electrical disorders of the heart. Okay. I found one here in Huntsville. Okay, so you were able to do some research on your own, and and you became you kind of took hold of your own health at this point. Absolutely. There you go. That is the biggest advice that I can give to anybody who is listening: is that you have to be a very active participant in your health care. Yes. Yes. So you find this EP specialist. And you go to talk to them now. I go to talk with them, and uh, I don't. I, I don't know how much of the story to tell about the friend that I took with me. <laughs> that's okay. I'm glad we're in this transition because that's where our story blends again. So my mother has given permission to tell a little bit of her story because she's still in the process. But my mother went with you to that consultation appointment, and it was so, it was comforting to her to hear, and she was able to see how this person related to you and spoke with you and explained the procedure. And I tease her all the time because then she does the, what most doctors, you know, me included sometimes, did the doorknob question. Can I just ask you a quick question, really quick? <laughs> and, and you know, the thing about it is, she had been referred to Birmingham also. Yes, and yes. There was a specific physician in Birmingham who was uh, at retirement age, who we were uh, supposed to be seeing in Birmingham, and because of my situation with my mother living here with me and the research that I had done, I had decided that I can't go to Birmingham. But she was going to to um, go with me to my appointment to see if, you know, this physician that I had found was uh, as credible as a physician in, in uh, Birmingham. Yes, yes. And, and we found yes. that this physician had been trained. By her physician in Birmingham. (laughs) I tell you, the Lord always looks out. I tell you. Yes, he does. And his bedside manner was so great, and he was so forthcoming with information to make both of us feel very comfortable. Yes. So now let's talk about this ablation procedure. 
what they do, and you can correct me um, going through this, Okay. What they do is they will take you, it's an overnight procedure, so it's like a day procedure, but you're observed overnight just to make sure right. that you're okay. They right. go in through an artery or vein in the leg, one of the big vessels, the femoral, the femoral vein. And what they do is they thread a catheter all the way through and all of our vessels dump back into the superior vena cava of the heart, which is a big pipe. We just call it, if you think of the heart and the cardiovascular system, it's a big plumbing system. And so all the plumbing comes and dumps back into that big vessel, the superior vena cava into the heart. And what they're trying to do is see where these areas of electricity are misfiring and not following the conductor of the orchestra. Right, that's right. Okay, that's right. so that's it exactly. And from what I understand, there were there are just different little areas within the heart that have come up, you know, outside of the regular conductive pathways. Yes, you know that that just fire, uh, you know, just randomly, however, randomly fire. Yes, and that's causes the irregular heartbeat. Yes. Yes. So what they're trying to do is go and, and take care of these little areas, close them down so that the regular or the normal pathway can be gotten back to, so to speak. Yes. So our vessels, our blood vessels, our nerves actually run along the vessels, the vein system is what we know, the venous side. So if they can map out the venous side, they know pretty much where the nerve conduction is. So when they look at the um, venous side, and they're looking at the pulmonary side, really, the ones that are the veins that branch off that superior vena cava that kind of go with the pulmonary vessels, because it's around the atrial node is usually where fires the atrium. And so we're talking about atrial fibrillation, the atrium is not firing, getting the proper signals from its electricity. So what they do is they they find a map, they map out those vessels, and they go around and they use a little instrument that actually burns those vessels so that they they hope to burn the nerve conduction along with that is what we call this ectopic nerve conduction or this nerve conduction that decided I'm not going to follow the conductor I'm just going to fire whenever I want Right there. Okay. So you had your procedure done in Huntsville Hospital, uh, there in Huntsville, Alabama, and your procedure went pretty, pretty uneventful, correct? My okay. study. Yeah. 
Okay, sleep studies are when people um, from, you know, common vernacular snore, they stop breathing in their sleep. So that's the breathing side. That What does that have to do with our hearts? Well, believe it or not, and I just found out, I was, after doing some research just recently, I found out that sleep apnea, which is what I had, and what a lot of people deal with can cause an array of Yes, yes, yes. It is imperative that if you snore or you have someone that you know snores or stops breathing in their sleep where they catch their breath, it is imperative that they go to a sleep specialist and get a sleep study done. Right. And that's what I did before the ablation, went and got the sleep study done and found out that I had severe sleep apnea. Mm, okay, okay. What was happening was that when I stopped breathing in my sleep, I, I was not getting enough oxygen yes. in my body that impacted my whole body. Yes. So thus you wake up tired, you're yes. always feeling drained. And it can actually affect the way tissues metabolize the foods we take in to extract the energy that is needed just to function on a daily basis. Just to function on a daily basis. It was like, it was every time I found an opportunity to sit and just, I was so tired until I was always sitting. I was sitting more than I was standing or walking. Oh, wow. and, and it was related to the sleep apnea, and I'm sure the egghead and all of that combination, you know? Yes, yes. The reason why they said, well, there's no need to do the ablation if you have a sleep apnea issue. Okay. <laughs> and so I went and I got the sleep study, and of course I, I had to go on the uh, machine and everything like that. Okay, so and, that's the CPAP machine for <laughs> sleeping at night. Right. Mm-hmm. Right, because mm-hmm. I had stopped breathing 47 times during the hour. What? Hour. <laughs> yes. My goodness. So he was not willing to even do the ablation if you had a diagnosis of sleep apnea and were not willing to do what was necessary to help out your sleep apnea. Right, right. And I thought that was a very, very vital piece of information. That is. So, uh, got the sleep apnea taken care of and had the ablation. ablation. And uh, I tell you what, it has made such a marked difference in my my life. Wow. Can you tell us what differences have you seen? I do not get as tired or tired during the day as I was before the procedures, Mm -hmm. before the sleep study, before the ablation. I was just tired all the time. Hmm. And it was, uh, you know, my, my, my daily lifestyle was just one of just kind of sitting and just getting through the day. Wow. You know? Wow. And, so your quality of life has actually improved. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Wow. I, I, I can't tell you how much improvement I've experienced since then, you know. Uh, I'm not as tired. I don't fall asleep during the day. Before these procedures, I would, yeah, I would sit for five minutes and I would be asleep, you know. Wow. Just, mm-hmm, and so I can function now and I don't have, and don't have the stresses 
Yes. With the bone issues in the body, you know. Yes. And I remember going to the doctor once, and I thought I was having another um, bout of, of uh, AFib, and they did the EKG, and it looked fine, and the doctor sat me down and talked to me and uh, found out what was stressing me out, and my diagnosis for that visit was stress due to uh, whatever kind of situation, mm. situation. Okay. Yes. So I, I have learned to control my stress. You know, Very I good. am a caregiver. That that you know that is a stress-producing kind of situation. Yes. So uh, I have I have learned to control my stress. I have learned to uh, eat a little better to keep my potassium yes. levels high. <laughs> good. <laughs> good. Know, all of that put together has kept us made a mark. That is wonderful. Aunt Lily, I have enjoyed talking to you this day. I really have. Well, I appreciate the opportunity because I don't, even though I don't do formal education about this, everyone that I know, and I know a lot of people because AFib is just a very common disorder. Yes. And I share this with people individually. I share my story and I let them know that there is help. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. And I was just going to ask for your tip of the tip of the day. And I believe that's it. Reach out and ask for help. That's right. Reach out and ask for help. And the other poignant thing that I want to reiterate that you brought forth was become an advocate for yourself and take control of your own health when you feel that you may not be getting exactly what you want or what you need. And because you took the initiative, you not were only able to help yourself, you were able to help someone else. And I personally thank you for that. (laughs) Well, you know, that that was God. I tell you what, God had it all in his plan. She worked together and go through this together, your mother and I. Yes, yes. And she's still going through her journey. She's still going through her recovery. And she was like, yeah, you should probably talk to Aunt Lillian because she's on the other side. I'm getting there. <laughs> yeah, and we still keep in close contact and, you know, keep up with each other health-wise and otherwise. And so, good, yeah. good. Well, we have to have you back on the House Call with Dr. Mac community. And keep doing what you're doing, Aunt Lillian. Keep encouraging other people, letting them know that they're are other options out there there's something for them that they can feel better and that you know you've gone through it the lord has kept you and and he will keep others that's right absolutely okay guys we'll see you here next time on house call with dr mac